the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. This is the word to stand on for life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Your word is sharper than any two-edged sword. And it cuts deep into my heart. The word to stand on for life is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel in San Antonio. A live call-in show here to help you answer your questions about the Bible and how to apply the word to your daily life. For more information on Calvary Chapel, visit our website, calvarysa.com. Get your Bible questions ready and call in now to 210-340-9585. It's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. Welcome to the program. Thank you for tuning in. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas, and this is The Word to Stand Up for Life, a program dedicated to taking your phone calls and answering your questions, Bible questions, questions about stuff going on in your life, questions about stuff you see in church, whatever is on your heart. Pick up the phone and dial 210-340-9585. If you're outside the local San Antonio area, you can call toll-free at 877-630-KSLR. That's 630-5757. You can email questions to us by emailing questions at calvarysa.com. Or you can use our free Calvary Chapel of San Antonio mobile app. And as always, if you are driving in your car, the safest way to call is to use the free KSLR mobile app. I'm sorry, just hit the call now banner at the top of the screen. You will be connected directly to our studio producer. Hey, a couple quick programming notes. Tomorrow, of course, Paula will be live in studio with me on the date day edition of the program. So get ready for that. And then tonight here at Calvary Chapel San Antonio, we're departing from our normal routine. We have been studying um, through the Old Testament on Wednesday nights, and we're currently in the book of Ezra. But tonight is a special night. Uh, It's not a party. It's not a celebration. Uh, It's just uh, we're going to celebrate the goodness of God. Uh, Tonight is our, or actually today, is our 28th birthday as a church. Uh, Very first time I... Uh, we started our church and people came. I said, open your Bibles to Mark chapter 1, verse 1. That was May 20, or May 31st, rather, 1995. And we've been doing the same thing ever since. Now, in the book of Ezra, we've been talking about uh, sort of the theme of Ezra is the gracious hand of my God has been on me. And I just felt like the Spirit of God was leading Um, to talk about the times that we've seen the gracious hand of God on us. So Paula and I are going to talk about that tonight. We're going to be on the stage in some chairs and just kind of sharing our hearts. It may look a little bit to the church like our Thursday radio program does. I'm not sure how it's going to turn out. We didn't want to rehearse it. I didn't want it to be something that was in a rehearsed format. Um, We just want to share how good God has been to us, how privileged we are to be doing what he's doing and, uh, you know, we've been on this radio, uh, live radio program for uh, almost 11 years and um, 28 years at the church. Believe me, God has been abundantly faithful. And uh, I, I want to kind of share that tonight. So pray for us. We don't know how it's going to turn out. It will be live streamed at calvarysa.com. And uh, I think Paul and I are going to have some fun with it. Uh, We don't know if anybody else will enjoy it or not, but we will. So (laughs) that's what we're going to do. Let's get to some questions while we wait your phone calls. The first question is from an anonymous listener from our mobile app. 
Um, and this is related to the caller's question about Stonehenge. And this, of course, was on yesterday's program. Related to the caller's question about Stonehenge, do you think that Satan could have given some people the supernatural ability to build those things uh, like Stonehenge or the pyramids solely to create confusion among believers as to their construction, origin, or maker? Anything to cause man to question the Bible and to question God. Anonymous, I don't think so. You know, I think the, the enemy knows that we're very easily confused and distracted. Uh, anyway, um, uh, there's no record of him giving supernatural power to people. Now, obviously, when people are demon possessed, they have uh, supernatural strength, but it's not creative strength. It's it's always destructive strength. And to do things like the pyramids, which were, I think, the single most um, unbelievable construction project in the history of the world. Uh, and that's saying a lot. Um, th- that's creative power. And I, I just don't see anywhere biblically where Satan has that kind of uh, power uh, to uh, to provide people that kind of ability. Now, we know that he will empower the man that we call the Antichrist in the last days. But again, that's going to be destructive power, not constructive power um, as, as the kind of thing. So I, I just don't think that the devil is in that business. Um, I, I can't completely rule out because there's obviously a lot of things, a lot of things that we don't know um, so uh, what I have to do is just kind of guess at that question based on the things that we know that are happening. Good question. Here's a question from Natalie. She wants me to explain what it means to deny yourself. Um, Natalie, let me make it as easy as I can. It's to say no to you and your desires and the things that you want so that you can say yes to God. Now, the problem with that is, obviously, we don't want to say no to ourselves. We want to indulge ourselves. But we've got to really realize that Jesus made a promise. We've got to decide practically whether or not we believe that promise. He said, if you find your life, you'll lose it. In other words, if you pursue what's important to you, you're going to lose life and the meaning of life and the things that God has for you. But if you lose it for him, you'll find it. And Natalie, that's not as difficult for me as it is for a lot of people because I had most everything the world could offer and and blew it, just ruined everything. Uh, And now when all that stuff was gone, the Lord has given me such a rich, fulfilling, abundant life that, that it's difficult even to describe. So that's what it means to deny self. It's to get up in the morning and say, Jesus, I'm going to serve you today. I want your will to be done in my life and not my will to be done. And that requires faith, Natalie. It requires the faith to believe that anything that God wants for you is better than everything that you want for you. And since we've been raised from birth to believe that we're entitled to things or to pursue things or to to seek the things of this world, it's a really difficult thing. But denying ourselves is the key to enjoying the fullness that God has for us. And until you're ready to deny yourself, it's impossible to enjoy the fullness that God has for you. It's really as simple as saying no. Lord, I want what you want instead of what I want. Um, And our flesh needs to be trained. It needs to be crucified every day. Uh, Again, the way we do that is simply to give Jesus a chance to prove to us how trustworthy he is. And I can just promise you, Natalie, biblically, but I can also promise you this experientially. When you abandon your life to Jesus Christ, he will take you places you never dreamed possible. He'll take you places and into things, situations and circumstances, into relationships that are better than you ever dreamed possible. And all of the human pursuit of those things won't pay off. The rich young ruler refused to deny himself. He knew he was missing something, lacking something. Lord, what must I do to obtain eternal life when Jesus told him to sell everything and give it to the poor? Now, God isn't against wealthy people. It's just that this man's life was focused on his wealth. 
That was his security. That was his source of peace. Uh, and it wasn't fulfilling. What do I still lack, he said. Jesus told him what to do. And because he wouldn't say no to himself, the Bible says he walked away sad. And it's a very, very strong word in Greek. It's, it's He was sore sad. That's how sad he was. So, Natalie, that's what it means to deny yourself. It's saying yes to Jesus. But in order to do that, you've got to say no to yourself. My son once asked me, he said, Dad, why doesn't Jesus want me to be happy? And I said, well, what do you mean? And he says, well, well, all the things I want, he's frustrating in my life. And I said, um, son, Jesus doesn't care about your happiness. What he cares about is your obedience. And then he makes the promise that when you are obedient, he will fulfill your life to, to a, a richness that you can't imagine. And I asked my son, do you believe that? And I think the truth of the matter is that that moment he didn't believe it. I don't think most people believe it. And that's why we so vigorously pursue, Natalie, that which we want. And the problem is when we get what we want and we still feel empty inside, what do we do? We walk away sad, just like the rich young ruler. Good question. Thank you very, very much for the entire audience. If you can practice saying no to you, I promise you, it will really and truly pay off. Henry says, Pastor on Jesus said to be perfect in Matthew 5, 48. He knows we can't, so why is the standard so high? Well, the standard is high because we want to be like Jesus, and he's perfect. Jesus knows that anything and everything in this world that we can accomplish is still going to be lacking apart from him. And so when he said to be perfect, what he's talking about, Henry, is that's how good you have to be to get to heaven. Without him. That's what the Sermon on the Mount is. Jesus is raising the standard. You know, um, um, he, he says, uh, you've heard it said, thou shalt not commit adultery, but I say unto you. And so what he's doing is he's taking the letter of the law and raising the, the, the standards a bit. And he's saying, no, it's not just the letter. It's the spirit behind the letter of the law that you have to keep. And he sums up the whole chapter. Uh, verse 48 is the last verse in chapter 5. And he sums up the whole chapter by saying, this is how good you have to be to get to heaven. You have to be perfect unless you believe in the Son of Man. So that was the purpose on the Sermon on the Mount. And one thing I want you to think about, Henry, we wouldn't want a God who was less than perfect, would you? I mean, if God was not perfect, if God could make mistakes, would you serve him? I know I wouldn't, but Jesus is perfect, and he demonstrated that he was perfect. So that's what he was getting at in the Sermon on the Mount. He's just telling Jews who believed they were, again, I'm going to use a New Testament term, they believed they were saved just by virtue of being Jewish, being physical descendants of Abraham. And Jesus is saying, nope, that's not enough. The law proves to you that you can't keep it, and thus you're condemned. So if you want to try to get to heaven without Jesus, you better be perfect. And the man or the woman that says, well, that's just too high a standard, doesn't understand a holy, perfect God at all. 340-9585 for your live calls and questions. James asks a really good question. He says, how can I go from an intellectual relationship with Jesus to a heart relationship? I'm going to sound like a broken record here, James, but um, the way you do it is to surrender your will to God's will. It's that simple. Um, I'm a logical person, so I'm going to be very logical with you. If you have an intellectual understanding that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, God the Son, that he's perfect, that he died for your sins, that he promised the Holy Spirit would fill you and empower you once he was gone. And if that tomb that they placed him in turned out to be empty as he predicted it would, well, then logic tells you that this is a man who is now in control in your life. That's what it means to be born again. You're transferring control of your life from your hands to his hands. And James, that's the way you do it. And until you let the love of God penetrate your heart, you simply can't have 
uh, an intimate relationship with Jesus Christ any other way. We love him because he first loved us, the Apostle John writes. And so what we have to do is let him love us, accept his love for us. Understand, the Bible says, the height and width and depth and breadth of his love. Understand those things and and the relationship will change. You know, I, I often tell our church here, James, that um, that distance between brain and heart is about 14 inches for most people. And it's the longest 14 inches in the history of the world. An intellectual ascent to the person of Jesus Christ does nothing. That's exactly why Jesus said we must be born again. So, James, good question. Thank you very, very much. I'll be hoping and praying that your relationship changes in an instant. Um, the Holy Spirit will do the work if you give him the opportunity. Let's go to Reuben on line one. Reuben, thanks for calling. You're on the air. God bless you, Pastor Ron. How are you doing today? Reuben, I'm doing well today. That's great. That's great. Praise the Lord. Uh, I have a quick question for you. Um, in regards to the first, uh, what, four or five books of the New Testament, uh, what, Matthew, John, Luke, and Mark, four, uh-huh. I guess? Yeah, four. Were they written at the same time from four different points of view, or were they diff- or were they written? Uh, I've heard some people say that John was written 60 years after Jesus died, and, uh, you know, years passed. That's the same for Mark and Luke and Matthew. I mean, I just just wanted to know, like, the timeline. Were they, were they written at the same time that he was actually doing the miracles? And they're just from, because they pretty much have the same thing in each book, but just from different points of view. Yes. So I'm, I was just wondering, you know, were they written while Jesus had a ministry on earth? Good question, Reuben. Um, they, they were all written after Jesus' death and resurrection. Um, the synoptic gospels, that's a term, uh, they used a lot of the same information. Uh, the synoptic gospels are Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, it is true that John was written some 60 or 65 years later than the others. And that's why his gospel has a different slant on the stories. Um, those gospels date Mark. We think Mark was the first of all of the gospel accounts, probably in the mid 60s, 60 AD, before the destruction of the temple. Uh, I personally think, although there are some that say Matthew and Luke were written um, um, later than the destruction of the temple. I don't think that's possible because there's no mention of the destruction of the temple. So I think they were all written pretty much in the same time frame. My guess, Reuben, is within eight to ten years of one another, and those gospel accounts would circulate um, throughout the Christian world at the time. John, of course, was the only uh, one of the apostles who lived to be uh, an old man and died of natural causes. It's not that they didn't try to kill him. It's just that they couldn't. Now, here's the value of the different perspectives on the gospel, even though the synoptic gospels use kind of the same information that would travel from place to place. Um, uh, Matthew, uh, his purpose was to uh, demonstrate that Jesus was the Jewish Messiah. Matthew's is the most Jewish of all of the Gospels account. Now, I always say on this program that we have to always remember the Jewishness of the Gospels. If we forget that, then we miss the point of the Gospels. We miss the point of Jesus' ministry. But Matthew's Gospel in particular had the one specific purpose, and that's to, to prove, to demonstrate that Jesus was the Christ, the Messiah. Uh, you will see in the Gospel of Matthew repeatedly, um, uh, as was written in the scriptures, or as was prophesied, or to fulfill the prophecy of. And uh, that was Matthew's approach to Jews. Mark's Gospel, 
um, again, primarily written to a Jewish audience, but the, the purpose of Mark's gospel, and remember, Mark's gospel is Peter's account of Jesus' ministry. So uh, Matthew, of course, was with Jesus. That was a firsthand uh, eyewitness account. Uh, Mark's gospel, Peter's account, uh, was also firsthand information. And Mark's purpose was to demonstrate that Jesus came to serve man, that he came as a servant. Luke's gospel had the purpose of demonstrating that Jesus was indeed God, but the focus for Luke is proving that he was also a man. The son of man is repeated over and over and over. So, yes, he was God, but he was human as well. And Luke's emphasis is on that. And Luke's sources were all primary sources. Uh, Luke would, would be able to talk to all of the living disciples at the time. Luke was like a journalist, an investigative journalist. And he would go out and get the information and compile it, of course, being driven by the Holy Spirit. And then John's uh, gospel, the last of the gospels written, uh, his gospel was to demonstrate that Jesus Christ was God in human flesh. And that's why the emphasis in John is on the miracles. At the end of John's gospel, he says, if all of the miracles that Jesus did were written uh, down in books, all of the libraries and all of the world couldn't contain the numbers of books that would be written. So his emphasis was on the miraculous to demonstrate that Jesus was, in fact, um, God in human flesh. In the beginning was the Word. The Word became flesh, and flesh dwelt among us, he said. The Word dwelt among us. So that he was God in human flesh was the emphasis. So uh, the Synoptic Gospels, Reuben, deal with the same primary source information. Um, not true with John's Gospel, uh, but of course John, the disciple whom Jesus loved, um, his gospel was written as well. You know, I often think about John. Now, we we don't know this. We don't have any way to prove this. But we know that when Jesus said to John at the cross, um, uh, here, woman, here is your son. Um, and said to John, here is your mother. And we know that Mary stayed with the apostle John uh, for about 11 years until she died. And she died a natural death. And then she went to be with Jesus. But... Um, um, I, I just think with the time that John was spending being Mary's caretaker, no doubt a, a task that he took very seriously, uh, I wonder how many times in his mind he rehearsed the things that he was going to write or or maybe sometime it occurred to him, you know, I need to start writing these things down. Um, but um, his gospel, of course, um, became the standard to prove the deity of Jesus Christ. Good question, Ruben. Good to hear from you. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question from Gino. He says, will the fire in hell be literal or symbolic? Um, Gino, this is a, a, a matter of a lot of debate. I personally favor the fact that it's symbolic. I don't think it's going to be actual flames and, you know, living beings walking through um, uh, fire. I think it's imagery that was designed by um, the Holy Spirit to portray just how awful eternal life is going to be separated from Jesus Christ. So, again, it, there are people that disagree with me, probably a lot smarter people than I am. Um, but I just don't take that it's a literal fire, you know, you got to touch it and get burned, and, you know, whatever our bodies in hell are going to look like are going to be burned in the skin, uh, you know, melting off. Uh, I just don't think that's the case. I just think the idea is it's going to be hot. We know in Luke chapter 16, which is not a parable, it's a story. Um, uh, the, the, the rich man, when he died, says, I'm in agony in this fire. Send Lazarus over just so he can, can cool the tip of my tongue with a drop of water. And he was told, of course, that can't happen. But um, um, we know it's hot, and, and by that I mean it is, it is, there's an element of torture in it. Um, so I, I think, I, I personally, I think it's symbolic. 
rather than literal. Uh, but here's what I know for sure, Gino, and the only thing I know for sure is that uh, it's going to be miserable forever and ever and ever, and it will never end. There's no hope. Tomorrow won't be better than today. There won't be a cool breeze. There won't be a change of weather. It won't be uh, anything that anybody would want to look forward to. So um, that's the best I can do with the question because nobody knows. The one thing I do know for sure is that it will be eternal. That's very important. Um, we're eternal beings from the moment we get breath. We're going to live somewhere forever. I had a caller not too long ago get angry with me. Um, it never says that. It does say that we're made in the image of God. And 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 primarily that means two things. One, we have the ability to choose just as God chooses. And two, um, we're eternal beings. We're going to live somewhere forever. And, and we have to make the choice while we're here on this earth where we're going to, to, to live in eternity. Are we going to live um, with Jesus? We call that heaven. Or are we going to live without Jesus, separated from Jesus? We call that hell. Thank you for the question. Hey, we've got 30 minutes left in the program. 340-9585 or toll-free 877-630-KSLR. This is The Word to Stand Up for Life. I'll be back in two minutes. back to the word to stand on for life we're taking your calls at 340-9585 or toll free 877-630-KSLR now here's pastor ron arbaugh welcome back to the second half of our wednesday show remember tonight here at calvary chapel of san antonio in um, honor of the lord's faithfulness for 28 years it is our church's birthday paula and i don't worry, she's not Pastor Paula. We're going to be uh, just sharing the, the times that we've experienced the hand of God upon us. Uh, and I'm, I'm, I'm as anxious as everybody else to find out exactly uh, what direction this is going to take. But we're going to do that tonight. And I just publicly want to say thank you, Jesus, for uh, being so faithful and, and, and fulfilling our wildest dreams beyond anything that we can imagine, being with us in the desperately hard times. And I'm personally going to talk about some of those tonight, um, but, but also being with us in those times that are just beyond glorious. Um, 28 years today, boy, the Lord has been faithful to us. And then, of course, tomorrow Paula will be live in studio. I don't know if she's going to talk about any of these things uh, tomorrow on the program or not. It's her show, so she can do what she wants, but we'll be here tomorrow at uh, 4 o'clock on AM 630, The Word, as we usually are. Here is a question from John from our email inbox. Pastor on. I'm fairly new in the faith, and I'm trying to get into reading books about the Christian walk. A friend of mine recommended a book by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. I'm concerned about this author, as I found out that he lived in Nazi Germany, and I'm worried about a fascist bent in his approach. Also, is this a good book for a new believer to read? Do you know of this author, and what do you recommend for me to read? Now, John, when I read your email, uh, my heart leapt for joy, uh, and and here's why. This book, The Cost of Discipleship, um, was the, now this is, I'm, I'm going back 30, almost 32 years now, was the single most influential book in my life to change a direction which was headed in the wrong direction in terms of doctrine and, and understanding um, and set my feet on solid ground and changed everything for me. Uh, it was as though Jesus was in that library with me on that day all those years ago and handed me the book and said, read this. Now, I was a new Christian. I had all kinds of money problems because of my sin. And, and uh, I was going to churches that were telling me God wanted me to be rich and he wanted me to be healthy and, and prosper and all those things. And it just seemed like sort of a scam to me. And um, I was, you know, I wanted it to be true. Believe me, I wanted it to be true. But I remember very specifically saying, Lord, 
I'm listening to some people who say that that you don't want me to be rich. You don't want me to be uh, healthy. You don't promise those things. And other people tell me all I have to do is have enough faith. And I was frustrated because I thought he had a lot of faith. And I, I said, show me who you are. And here's the promise I made him, John. I said, Lord, if you show me which Jesus is real, I'll follow him. I promise you that I just need to know. It was the next day I picked up this book um, by Dietrich Bonhoeffer, The Cost of Discipleship. Uh, you need not to be concerned about him as an author. He was a Lutheran pastor. Um, you know, we would look at Lutheran Church today and say, well, there's some issues, but but, but not so then. Um, he can't help where he was born uh, or the fact that he lived during the time of Hitler. Uh, there is certainly no fascist bent uh, in his approach, uh, this is a book that that really identifies uh, at the grassroots level what being a Christian is all about. Uh, I remember reading that book, and I, I, I used to be when I could see well. I was a really fast reader, and uh, I went through that book in a day, and I filled up an entire legal pad of notes and took a moment to Paul and said, Oh, Paula, we got to study all this because we've been really, really wrong. And it changed uh, my life. Now, Bonhoeffer was one of those um, Christians um, who weren't afraid to stand up against Hitler. Uh, he was, in fact, um, um, part of a group that was plotting Hitler's assassination. He was uncovered, and he was actually assassinated or killed. Uh, Bonhoeffer was martyred, I, I like to use that term, um, just days before uh, the fall of the Third Reich. So he almost made it through, but but he was martyred for his faith and his work. So he is a good author, no issues, no problems with him whatsoever. Uh, there is a book, uh, two of them that I can recommend uh, if you just want biographical information. Uh, one is called Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a biography. It's by Eberhard uh Beth G, B-E-T-H-G-E. And there's a more recent book written by uh, somebody who comes on the air just before I do right here on this radio program, Eric Metaxas, uh, called uh, Bonhoeffer. Um, and, and it says there he's uh, pastor, martyr, prophet, and spy. So um, uh, Eric Metaxas's book has gotten a lot of good reviews. I would start with that one if you want some of the detail uh, biographically on him, but but have no concerns whatsoever, uh, none whatsoever about uh, picking up Bonhoeffer. Since you're new to your faith, let me also say this. Uh, one of the things that inspired me greatly at the beginning was to read biographies, uh, the George Mueller biography. Uh, it was like uh, Jesus was was reading the book to me. And and I wanted that kind of faith. Um, uh, Dr. David Livingston uh, is one of my all-time heroes. And um, uh, his missionary um, uh, biographies are wonderful. And there are just a lot of them. You can look up um, Christian biographies and you'll see them. And they're very inspiring and the one thing all those men had in common was a deep and abiding love for the Word of God. So uh, God bless you uh, on your journey. Um, start with the cost of discipleship and really be excited about what God is doing. Thank you very, very much. Here's a question that was called into the studio from Pablo in San Antonio. He says, lately I've been struggling to find a true God-fearing woman. Do you have any advice that could help me? Um, Pablo, I don't know if you were listening to the first part of the program, um, but uh, we had a question about what does denying self mean? Um, stop worrying about it. J- just just don't worry about it. You focus on Jesus. Stop looking for a God-fearing woman and start looking for Jesus. And if he's got a woman in your future, he'll have you run right into her. But I know this is so uh, contrary to our human nature. We think, well, I want a God-fearing woman, but um, when we start looking for that God-fearing woman, 
um, you know, we're, we're, we're not really trusting the Lord. I know we live in a time where dating apps are used. And every time I say this, people say, well, I met my soulmate on a dating app. That's great. That's the exception that proves the rule. But the reality is trusting God. You follow Jesus, Pablo. Every day you follow Jesus. And if it's his plan... And and this desire for a woman has probably been placed in your heart by the Lord. But if it's in your plan, he'll take you to that woman. You just have to have patience because he's preparing you for the woman of your dreams. And you're not ready yet. And all the while, he's preparing her for you. And sometimes it takes a little bit of time. So stop trying to find someone and just get as close as you can to Jesus Dig in at church, get involved in ministry, and uh, let the Lord direct your steps instead of trying to direct them yourselves. So that's the only way it works. I can promise you, if you keep looking, you're going to make a mistake. And it's sort of, we get frustrated, you know, when it's any port in a storm kind of thing. Um, you need to take some time to get to know the woman that God will have for you. Uh, make sure, watch her life as, as I would advise her to watch your life. Um, serve. Um, let your, your, your faith be known to others. And uh, at just the right time, you'll look up and there she'll be. And she'll look at you and say, I've been waiting for you my whole life. But just stop trying on your own, please, Pablo. Three four zero ninety five eighty five. Let's go to Robert calling from Austin. Robert, thanks for calling. You're on the air. Thanks, Pastor Ron. Hey, I got a I have a new acquaintance in my life, and uh, he tells me he's a member of the Foursquare Church, and I'm not really sure I understand what that church is all about. Okay, uh, can you help me with that? I can. The Foursquare Church was started by Amy Simple McPherson. Um, doctrinally, they've got some problems. Um, but uh, Calvary Chapel has uh, four, squ- four square roots. Pastor Chuck was also, he's the founder of, of uh, the Calvary Chapel movement. Uh, Pastor Chuck had four square roots, uh, and he was sort of um, discouraged by the denominational demands uh, and went out on his own, and that's when Calvary Chapel was born. Uh, but um, they are uh, an orthodox a group of, of worshipers. They tend to be uh, more charismatic, um, sometimes out of control charismatic, uh, but they they uh, they have uh, a full understanding of of who Jesus is, what He's done. Um, not really big on teaching the Bible as much as sort of preaching it and putting on a show. But I think that goes with the charismania uh, bent that they have. Um, because it was started by a woman. Uh, there are some uh, women who are pastors. I wouldn't go to one personally um, because I want I want to go to a church that follows the Acts chapter 2 model of what a church should be. But uh, he is, uh, I'm sure, a, a genuine believer, loves the Lord, um, and, uh, and somebody that you wouldn't have to be on guard against at all. So, Robert, I hope that helps. Thank you for calling. Here is a question that came in from our email inbox anonymously. Hello, Pastor. Thank you for this radio show, and I pray for you, Paula, and all the pastors every day. Anonymous, thank you for that. That means more to me than you know. Here's the question. I wanted to get your thoughts on baptism, if I may. I've been saved since 2019. I've had my ups and downs, and at times I'm guilty of being spiritually lazy. I've avoided getting baptized because I'm too hard on myself. Although I don't doubt my salvation, I just feel that I don't have much fruit in my life. Is that a requirement for baptism, or am I just overthinking this? Um, Anonymous, and he signs that respectfully, and I appreciate that. If you haven't been baptized, um, you know, you're being disobedient. Acts 5.32 says, God gives the Holy Spirit... And the context there is in power to those who obey. Jesus said to be baptized. They were they practiced baptism uh, in the early church, as as evidenced in the Book of Acts and as evidenced in the in the epistles. 
Um, so um, if you're, you're refusing or delaying being baptized, um, shame on you. And I don't, I don't say that to, to, to make you feel ashamed. I say that to, to uh, sort of smack you upside the spiritual head and say, go get baptized. Baptism is a public profession of our faith in Jesus Christ. Now, if I'm reading your letter right, and I'm reading a little bit between the lines, when you say you've avoided getting baptized because you're too hard on yourself, you're thinking, well, if I get baptized, I can't blow it anymore because then it gets really serious. Every time you blow it, every time you give in to spiritual laziness, you're just as accountable to God now as you will be after you've been baptized. But it's important that we are obedient and if there's not much fruit in your life, that's the Holy Spirit saying, I've got more for you than you can imagine. Open your heart. Let me in. Let me do the work. And Anonymous, I can tell you, for a man who's hard on himself, I can tell you that the devil will beat you to death until you understand what grace is all about. So just... Make a decision prayerfully. Go before the Lord. Repent. I mean, everything you've written here is 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 something you need to repent of just between you and the Lord. And you say, Lord, there's not much fruit in my life. I've wasted some time. Now, it's only a few years since you got saved in 2019. But, Lord, I've wasted my time. And I'm sorry for that. And I don't want to waste any more. I wish, Anonymous, that you told me how old you were now um, because you know the older we get and time just seems to go faster and faster and faster uh, there's no time to waste Jesus is coming soon we live in the last hours of the last days all one needs to do is look around at the world that we live in and it's the world that's described in 2 Timothy chapter 3 it's it's the world uh, that that Jesus said we should pay attention to the signs. Uh, the signs are all around us that the return of the Lord is near. And, you know, there's going to be a day when we're too late. You know, I'm I'm 72 years old. I just turned 72 uh, this past week. And, um, you know, the urgency for me has ratcheted up. And I don't want to miss out on anything. Well, if you're 32 instead of 72... Um, time is short for you as well if Jesus is going to come soon. And I promise you, when he comes, you don't want to be found being spiritually lazy. Uh, in the parable of the talents, in the parable of the mind, as Jesus said, a wicked, lazy servant says, my master delays his coming. We don't want to be considered wicked or lazy. So this is the time. This is the time. Get baptized. Be obedient to the Lord. And every day, going back to the first half of the program, in die to yourself. Say no to you and what you want to do and say yes to the Lord. And uh, your life will change dramatically. Everybody will be able to see your life will change. And believe me, being in the game, Anonymous, being in the game instead of on the sidelines watching the game, the difference is infinite between those two alternatives. Get in the game. Lord, I'm your servant what about me and what about today? And if you'll do that, then everything will change. I promise you. I absolutely promise you. So have at it. Get baptized and uh, just watch what God will do. Maybe tonight, Anonymous, you can sort of tune in at calvaryessay.com and we're going to talk about God's faithfulness. You know, Paul and I, the one thing that we say to each other all the time is is if we just said no to the Lord, because it didn't make any sense for us to come to Texas. We didn't want to come to Texas. If we'd said no to the Lord, we'd have missed out on so much. And who wants to miss out? Right now, Anonymous, you're missing out. 340-9585. I think we got time for a couple more questions anyway. Here's a question from Joe. He says, I know there are false teachers, but why does God allow them to preach things that are wrong? It can be confusing. Well, Joe, one of the things I know the Lord is trying to uh, build in you is, is discernment. 
Um, all this we need to know. First John chapter four says that uh, we're to test the spirits because not every spirit is from God. The, the reality is there's lying spirits in this world that are teaching things that are not true. Um, and we got to be able to discern what's true versus what's not true. Uh, false teachers have always been around. Um, the Apostle Paul, as soon as he left a region um, and went somewhere else, false teachers would come in and try to undo his work. The devil plants his own people in churches. Jesus told a parable about the wheats and the tares. And if you're not an agricultural person, wheat and tares look exactly alike. The difference is one has nutritional value, the other has no value at all. And and since they look the same, you can't tell which is which just with a cursory look from the outside. Um, so Jesus wants us to understand that it's always been that way. Um, Jesus told the parable of the, the mustard seed that plants and grows into a huge tree that even the birds of the air can nest in it. Well, the birds of the air are evil. And here's what he's saying. The church is going to grow and there's going to be evil inside the church. So we've got to get into the word. We've got to be discerning. And, um, you know, why does God allow it? Because we still live at a time uh, before he's going to set everything right. You know, I used to, Joe, ask the same question. Why would God allow these false ministries to be so outwardly successful. A lot of people, a lot of money. God, why would you do that when we're trying to teach the truth and, and everything is is so hard for us? And um, the Lord one day scolded me. Um, I mean, just flat scolded me. And he said, you've got my word. And Joe, that's all we need. I don't need to worry about what anybody else is doing or what anybody else is teaching. Now, obviously, I keep up with things because of this program primarily. Um, as a pastor, I want to warn people against going to false churches. But um, other than that, I don't need to worry about those things. My job is to teach the Word. Your job, Joe, now is to find a church where the pastor is faithful to the Word of God. He's teaching the Word of God in context. He's not skipping over things. He's not just telling you cute stories or giving you goosebumps. But he's rightly dividing the Word of God where you can grow, where you can be fed. And in a church where you can serve, you can use the gifts of the Spirit and the power of the Spirit that God has given to each of those of us who are His. So that's your job. And... Uh, as you're in the Word, I promise you the Holy Spirit will equip you to discern uh, what's real and what's not. If you are a relatively new believer, um, dig into the Word. Just read it. Get familiar with it. The Holy Spirit will empower you eventually know what's right or what's wrong. I had a question about uh, the, the cost of discipleship. Um, that's God blessing me. Joe, uh, when I was asking the same questions that you are. Thank you for the call. We've got an anonymous caller from Volverde, Texas, on line one. You are on the air. Hey, Pastor Ron. Hey, before I get into my question, just want to just ask you, give, give Mama Paula a hug for me. I just so enjoy hearing her when she's on the show with you on Thursdays. <laughs> I, she's the best. And then for her, I got so much respect for her for hanging in there with you for those tough years. Before you got saved, and, and look how it's it's paying off. It's just, and, and here I, my wife for 34 years didn't hang in there with me, even though I was saved the whole time. Mm. It's just crazy. But thank anyway, you. Anyway, um, my question is, um, someone like Glenn Beck, who was raised Catholic, uh, which I get it because I was raised Catholic also, uh, very ignorant. Uh, he is. Apparently had a plug into the Mormon Church because he ended up marrying a, a woman who was Mormon, and that's the only way that w that would work. But I hear him on his show, and I listen to him a lot because uh, he d he does come from a conservative background, and he he really does uh, has some good information. By him, almost every show he points people to God. He points people to get into the Bible. You know, he, he never I never really heard him promote Mormonism. But it's all about prayer, and, and we as a nation to turn back to God. And and you know, is is it possible that someone like him does have salvation, 
yeah. even though they're plugged into the wrong place right now. Yeah. Let me. Uh, we're inside three minutes, so I want to answer this question. It's a great question. Uh, Glenn Beck is an interesting guy, really, really smart. Um, I like him, and you're right. If you were just listening to him to talk, I, I actually listened uh, this week to him interviewing uh, a late-in-life Christian, an atheist turned to Christ, um, a guy that's well-known. I didn't know the guy very well, but but um, uh, and they were praising God. I mean, they were they were literally praising God. Now, that fact that he's a Mormon uh, is problematic because Mormons don't have the right Jesus. Uh, if, if, if it's true, and I had not heard this about Glenn Beck, that he married a Mormon and converted on that basis. Um, th- there are people in the Mormon church, I know some in the Mormon church, who um, don't know what the Mormons believe. Just like there are people that come to Calvary Chapel of San Antonio, and they don't really know the details of what we teach and what we believe. You know, they're just sort of there, and, and uh, it's the right thing to do, and they never really dig in. Uh, it is possible that he could be saved. Um, he could uh, understand that Jesus of uh, the Mormons is the Jesus of the Bible. He seems to imply that sometimes in his conversation. But if he believes Mormon doctrine, and I want to be really clear, he's a smart guy, he's accountable to God. If he believes Mormon doctrine, he is not a born-again Christian. He is not saved because he doesn't have a Jesus who can forgive sins. His Jesus, or I should say the Mormon Jesus, is not God. The Mormon Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, and that's not somebody who can save. Uh, that's why truth really, really matters. I'm hopeful for Glenn. He's he's sounds so safe a lot of the time. Hey, thanks for tuning in. I appreciate the calls. May the Lord bless you and keep you. I'm Pastor Ron Arbaugh from Calvary Chapel in San Antonio, Texas. Paula and I will be here tomorrow, Lord willing, at 4 o'clock on AM 630 The Word. We'll see you then. Thanks for spending this time with Calvary Chapel's The Word to Stand On for Life with Pastor Ron Arbaugh. The Word to Stand On for Life is on every weekday afternoon at 4, and Pastor Ron invites you to find out more about Calvary Chapel at calvarysa.com. The Word to Stand On for Life was sponsored by Calvary Chapel of San Antonio. Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.